0: Good evening. My name is Jason, one of the pastors here at Grace Downtown, and we are so glad that you have found yourself here with us tonight. We're so glad to have you, so glad to have you worshiping with us tonight. Uh, Before we jump into the text that Ryan uh, just read for us, I want to tell you one aspect of who we are as a church. Uh, We want to be a church that welcomes others— with the same hospitality in which Christ has welcomed us into his kingdom, which is actually what the parable is all about here tonight. And so one way to do that here in Iowa City is welcoming those that move to our community. There's many organizations and many ministries and many churches that are trying to do that, and all of them are are doing a lot of great things in our community. Um, But one group in particular that we feel like is is unreached and really a lot of times not welcomed well into our community is international students. So as a church, we partner with Friends of International Students. And um, through Friends of Internationals, um, you can adopt an international student and have them into your home and into your lives as an individual or as a family or as a household. Uh, Once a month is all that's required that you would invite them into your life. uh, Whatever you are already doing as a individual or a family or a household, you just invite them to come along. As well, And so we want to encourage you to sign up to host an international student this school year. Uh, pretty soon many of them will be moving to town and every year there's a waiting list of international students that do not have a home to be welcomed into. In fact the vast majority of international students will never step inside uh, of a, an American home. And so as believers in Christ, we feel like we need to take care of that and we need to invite them into our homes. So tonight, Wade Summers, who is the director of Friends of Internationals, is right back here. If you look back here, he's standing in the back waving and he has a map up there. Um, and we, uh, you can sign up tonight to host an international student. It would be great as those international students move to town and get signed up if Wade could place them in homes right away. So this is something we've participated in most years since uh, Grace Downtown started seven years ago. And we want to encourage you to sign up for that as well. It really um, matches the heart of God, welcoming the nations as they come to us. And uh, really, that's what this parable is about tonight. It's about God welcoming some into the feast. And really, there's application for us as well. If you've ever been invited to a party, it's a great thing and a great feeling to be invited into a party and to know you're welcome. But it's not so great if you were invited to a party, but you're not quite sure that you were invited. Maybe you assume you're invited, or a significant other is invited, or all your other friends are invited, and so you just show up anyway. But as soon as you get there, it becomes kind of awkward, and you start to wonder, am I really invited To this party. Now, if you're like me, you're getting too old to go to parties, and so maybe this hasn't happened to you in a while. But if you think back to like junior high, high school, college age in particular, I'm willing to bet that this happened to you. Or on the front end, before you even go to a party, maybe you're kind of like, I'm not sure if I should go to this, this wedding, this party, this birthday gathering, I'm not sure I'm invited. That's a really bad feeling. To either show up to a party and question if you're invited, or to not even know if you should go. Well, tonight We are reading in this parable, Jesus is telling us about not only a party, but the party. And we need to know if we are invited to this party above all other parties. Would you pray for me? And we'll jump into the text together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity we have to uh, get into your word. Thank you that you speak to us. Thank you that your word, your spirit, your people speak to us. Spirit, we want to hear from you now. We want to hear what you have for us. God, we don't want to just have our intellectual or our theological um, part of our brain tickled here tonight. We really want to hear from you, God. Whatever you would want us to know about who you are, whatever you would want us to know about who we are, however you would want us to see others, whatever action should come from uh, this text tonight, God, we pray that you would do that work. God, give me the words to uh, describe clearly what you want us to see here tonight. God, would you give us uh, eyes to see? Would you give us minds that understand the things that you say? Would you give us hear, ears to listen? God, would you give us hearts ready to believe what you say? Would you give us hands and feet ready to obey you in whatever you call us to do? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Matthew chapter 22, go ahead and turn there with me. Um, If you don't have a Bible and you'd like a hard copy, there's some in the windowsills. You can jump up right now and grab one of those or... uh click there on your phone. We're going to Matthew 22, the first 14 verses. Uh, We'll kind of go section by section here through the story to make sure we understand what's going on in the narrative. I'll just make some very brief comments, and then we'll talk about what we have to learn from this passage. So starting in Matthew 22 and verse 1. Matthew 22 and verse 1. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables. So before we go on, there when it says, and again Jesus spoke, um, we aren't necessarily sure what that means when we read it in English. Um, We think maybe Jesus is just speaking in another parable. Uh, All this summer, we're going through the parables of the kingdom, the parables where Jesus tells us what the kingdom of God is like. So as we read that again, we may think that it's, oh, well, here's another parable from Jesus. We're getting deeper into Matthew, so it's another parable. But actually, if we look in the original Greek, um, this actually says, answering them, Jesus spoke to them. Answering them. So we have to ask the question, what is Jesus answering? And what was the question? So let's turn back in Matthew 21. If you look in Matthew 21, in the verses that came right before this, Jesus is having a discourse with the Pharisees, with the religious people of his day. If you'll look at Matthew 21, starting in verse 42, Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing, and it was marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. And the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard this parable, they perceived that he was speaking about them. And although they were seeking to arrest him, they feared the crowds because they held him to be a prophet. Jesus is telling the Pharisees and the Sadducees, you will reject me. In fact, it was prophesied in the Old Testament. In verse 42, that's from the Old Testament. Jesus is saying it was prophesied ahead of time that my own people would reject me. He's saying, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the Jewish religious people of the day, they will reject me, but God will use that to build his kingdom. He says, the kingdom of God will be taken from you, in verse 43, and given to others. And who will it be given to? Those who produce fruit. We should recognize that language from our other parables, that when the kingdom of God is implanted in someone, it produces fruit, all kinds of fruit. We're able to steward what has been entrusted to us for the sake of the kingdom of God. Jesus is here, here is telling the religious people of his day the kingdom of God doesn't have anything to do with what uh, family you were born into or what religious practices you hold to. The kingdom of God has to do with me. My words, my life, my righteousness imputed to you. And though you will reject me, God will use that rejection to build the kingdom. So that is the context in which we are reading this parable. So Jesus answered them and spoke to him them this parable, saying, verse 2, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. And he sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast. Okay, so let's uh, look at what we have here in verse 2. In verse 2, he is comparing the kingdom of heaven... To a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. Now, if you live in a city, if you live in a village and there's a king and he gives a wedding feast for his son, you would want to be invited to that party. It is the party of the year. You want to be invited to that party. It's going to be a great party because the king is going to bring out his finest food and wine, it's going to be a multi day affair. The king is going to show his greatness. And his love for his son by how great of a feast he is going to put on. So, if you're invited, first off, you want to go. Everybody would want to go. And if you were invited, you would certainly go. You would want to personally be there, but also you would not want to offend the king by not going. But what do we read in verse 3? And he sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast. But they would not come. What's going on here? Before we move on any further, when it says the kingdom of heaven may be compared to, again, we need to look at the Greek. The Greek is not always super informative to our understanding, but here again it is. And in the Greek, when it says the kingdom of heaven may be compared, it actually is saying the kingdom of God has become like a wedding feast. It's important for us to remember in these parables that Jesus is consistently pointing back to the fact that the kingdom of God has already come. In two ways he's speaking of the kingdom of God already coming. One, the kingdom of God has been promised for centuries. And then the second thing that Jesus is saying, the kingdom of God has come because I am here. Jesus fully man and fully God. So He is God saying, I am here, I am here on earth, and I have brought God's kingdom. God's kingdom is already advancing here on earth. So as we read about this, we have to remember that he is saying the kingdom of God has become like this. It is becoming like this as he speaks and as we sit here today. This is a major part of what Jesus came to preach and to teach about and to show. The welcoming of the kingdom of God, the inauguration of the kingdom of God. It's what Jesus came to say and do. Verse four. Again he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. Come to the wedding feast. Another question to think about about a party. Have you ever waited when you were invited to a party to see if you're going to go based on what food they're going to serve? Come on, be honest. You know you have. This is really ironic. I've done this many times, more times than I care to admit. Like if you get an invite to a party and it's like light appetizers will be served, you're like, I'm good. I'm going to stay home in my jammy jams and Netflix binge and eat whatever I want. But if someone's like, you know, a foodie, or if they say there's going to be a, a five-course meal, or they're going to make some kind of food that you've never had before, you're like, I'm, I'm in. I don't care who's there. I'm in for the food. It's really ironic. Um, I had this written into the sermon, and then I um, made a mistake in my announcements last week when I said after the service, tonight, I was talking about tonight, that after the service we would have appetizers after the service. Um, just kidding. Um, Because actually, we are having dessert after the service, uh, which is a little bit different than appetizers, but I had forgotten that we had decided in our staff meeting that instead of appetizers, we would have dessert because we've had appetizers a lot of times recently. So I actually told you you were coming to a party with appetizers being served, but instead it's dessert. If you'd like to leave now, no shame. Just sneak on right out. This is what's happening in verse 4. The king tells the servants, no, 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 no. no. Okay, so people didn't want to come. Go tell them what kind of party this is going to be. Remind them that I'm the king. Remind them that this is for my son. And remind them that I am killing my best animals to serve to them. He says, go tell them what kind of party this is going to be. So what happens? Verse 5. But they paid no attention. And they went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The people have two responses to the king's invitation. The first one is just going on about their normal life. One uh, commentator said that what these men have in common or these people have in common, the one that went off, one to his farm, another to his business, the thing that's common about all of those is the mundane nature of what they're doing. They basically go on with what they were already doing. They just continue on as they were. These are the ones that reject the kingdom because they're too busy with their stuff. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago in Hebrews chapter 2. That some will leave the faith by drifting. Some will leave the faith by continuing to come to church, but their heart really isn't in it, and so they just drift away from the living God. That's what's being described here in the parable. But then there's a second group of people that seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. These invited guests were openly hostile to the king. Two responses to the invitation. Verse 7. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and he destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, "The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy." This is a side note, but it's related and a good time to talk about it. In every generation of society and of believers, there's a, will be a group of people that says, "Why can't we all just be nice like Jesus was?" Why can't we just all be nice to each other like Jesus was? And they get a picture of Jesus that starts to match their own ideas or perception or the way they want Jesus to be. But when we read things like this from Jesus, and he's saying the kingdom of God is like this, we start to see that Jesus tells the truth of the kingdom. Often when people say this, they're implying that Jesus accepted and got along with everyone. But as we just saw in Matthew 21, verse 43, he tells the Jewish leaders, the kingdom of God has been taken from you and given to others, meaning Gentiles. People that were considered impure and filthy, and they did not deserve the kingdom. Jesus is saying the kingdom will be taken from them and given, from you and given to them, Jesus has hard words for them to hear. The kind of words and the kind of actions that eventually get him killed and put on a cross. Verse 9. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. It seems as we read the story that the first invite that went out was to a specific group of people. The second seems more indiscriminate. That's what um, Jesus means when he says both the good and the bad were invited. Those that society considered good, those that society considered bad. It seems more indiscriminate in the invite. The context of this passage and what comes before it in the preceding chapters, Matthew 20 and Matthew 21, we can make a very natural connection here that Jesus is talking about the Jews being invited into the kingdom, rejecting Christ, just as he was talking about in Matthew 21, and then God inviting others into the kingdom. Jesus is communicating something about who is invited into the kingdom. And then verse 11. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there was a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. This guy seems to be a little bit different than the other two groups. The ones that just continued on in their mundane tasks and the ones that were openly hostile towards the uh, invitation of the king. We'll go back to this guy in just a moment and what's going on with him as we dive into what we learn from this passage. What do we learn about this party and who is invited? First, Number one, there will be a great banquet in the new heaven and the new earth. This whole series, we've been talking about what the kingdom of God looks like. We've been taking a look at what it means when we pray in the Lord's Prayer, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. All of these parables are describing what the kingdom of God is like and what the kingdom of God is like now. Not just to come, but here on earth. Jesus is telling us a story about a great wedding feast where people come together and they celebrate a king and his son. It's very easy for us to see the parallels to the new heaven and the new earth, the end of all things where God and his redeemed celebrate at the wedding supper of the Lamb. How many of you have ever been skiing in the Midwest? How many of you have been skiing in Colorado? It's different. So there's actually a few hills in the Midwest. Like if you go up to Wisconsin or even Northeast Iowa, you start to get at least some hills. You can't call them mountains, but you can call them hills. So you can go up there and goof off and ski. Um, I'm from Kansas City where it's even flatter than here. And we found the one hill in Missouri and we went and skied on it. Um, so I, that's how I first learned to ski was on a hill in Missouri. But then as I got older, I got to take a trip to Colorado, and then I learned what I had been doing before was not skiing. It was falling down an icy hill. Skiing on a mountain with fresh snow is a completely different sport. One is like a a man-made version. One is the real thing. It's a very different story. Or maybe you've seen in Vegas, maybe you've gone yourself or you've heard about uh, different hotels and areas of Las Vegas that have replicas of other cities in the world, like Little Italy, and they have like an area that looks like Venice, and they have like the Eiffel Tower and all these different things that are replicas of the real thing. This wedding feast that Jesus is talking about and any party or wedding that you have been to is just a replica It's just an appetizer. It's just a foreshadowing of a wedding feast to come in the new heavens and the new earth. These parables, we talked about this from the beginning, that the word parable means to set something alongside something else. Jesus is setting this parable, this parable of the wedding feast, up alongside what the wedding feast will be like in the new heavens and the new earth. He's talking about what the kingdom of God looks like now and what it will look like in the future. So who is invited to this wedding feast? All are invited and few are chosen. That's what he says in verse 14. Matthew twenty-two fourteen. For many are called, but few are chosen. What does that mean? We see this in the wedding feast parable, but what is Jesus getting at here? Jesus is getting at a few things. First, the Jews received the promise of God first. The offer of grace went out to the Jewish people first. They were, there was a, an invite given specifically to them. But Jesus says here that few are chosen. In 1 Timothy 2 verse 4, we read, God desires all men to be saved. And in 2 Peter 3 9, we read that God is waiting to come back because he is waiting for us to repent, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So the offer of the kingdom is going out broadly, it's going out to many people. The invite into God's kingdom is a generous offer, but then few are chosen. We know this not just theologically or from reading our Bibles, but we know this from our experiences. A couple of weeks back when we had baptisms out here on the front lawn, wasn't that awesome? What an awesome moment as a church family to see uh, a brother and sister get baptized, welcomed into the family of God, celebrating what God has done in their life, and a big circle of people gathered around them. What a great time. Did you notice the few dozen people that walk past as we were doing that indifferent to what was going on. As students come back to school, thousands of students will pass by this building every day and never step foot inside of this church or any other church. Those that are chosen and those that are welcomed into the kingdom, it's a narrow road. We know that from scripture, but we also know that from our experiences. Isaiah 55 verse 1 says, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. The kingdom of God is open to all, but only a few will see their need for the kingdom. That's what Jesus is saying here. Some of you, I'm sure, would love for me to jump more into what it means that we're chosen. And um, in the evangelical theological world, we have spent so much time and so many pages on describing what it means that we're chosen and getting into the ins and outs of that. And we had a theological forum last year where we talked about Calvinism and Arminianism and the different ways uh, uh, people understand biblically that we are saved. Jesus is hinting at some of that in this parable But I think more than anything, Jesus wants us to come away from this parable, not necessarily understanding all the nuts and bolts of how all this works, but just marveling at the fact that we would be chosen. Because if the road is narrow, and some have rejected the kingdom, and we know the kingdom at all, if we are in Christ, it is nothing of our own doing. What do we have? Isaiah 55 says, come, you who have no money, buy and eat. I think Jesus wants us to take a moment and just be amazed that we would be an invited guest to his table. What an amazing thing. Number three, we learn that there will be guests from every tribe, tongue, and people. In Matthew 22, when or 21, Matthew 21, 43, when Jesus says the kingdom of God has been taken from you and given to those who will produce fruit, he means it's been given to Gentiles. It's been given to some from every tribe, tongue, nation, and people. Isaiah 25, verses 6 through 8. This is in the Old Testament. This is centuries before Jesus comes. Isaiah 25, verse 6. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined, And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away every tear from our faces. And the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. This Gentiles being invited into the kingdom was not a new concept that Jesus was bringing to the table. It was God's promise all along. In Isaiah 25, he is saying a cover will be removed so that all nations will hear that Jesus is king. That's what Jesus is talking about in this wedding feast. Romans chapter 9 verse 16 says that mercy, the mercy of God is not dependent upon our human exertion, but on the mercy of God. God. Our religious heritage, our religious efforts mean nothing to God. They look like filthy rags to him. But it's by mercy that we are saved, being chosen by God, not of our own doing. Number four, we must be prepared for the coming of the Lord, let's look back at our parable, verse 11 and 12. but when the king came to look at the guests, he saw there was a man who had no wedding garment, And he said to him, "Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment?" And the man was speechless commentators disagree on what exactly is going on here. It doesn't really matter because the point's the same, but I'll kind of tell you what's going on. So two different options here. Um, Some think that kings in the first century, if you went to a wedding, they would provide you a clean garment to make sure you were dressed how you, they wanted you to be dressed. So they would offer you a wedding garment as you got to the wedding feast. So that's one option. The other option is that you would have to prepare yourself and show up to the wedding feast in the right kind of attire or you would not be welcomed in. It doesn't really matter. Either way, the guy shows up and either he um, does not accept the wedding garments that he has offered or he just shows up in whatever he was dressed in. Whatever he was dressed in that day, he shows up. The other guests show up in proper attire for the wedding feast. He's, he just shows up as is or refuses the wedding garments. But either way, this man is defying the king in a third way. We've seen one group of people who just went on in their mundane task and ignored the invite into the wedding feast. We saw another group of people that was openly hostile towards the servants that invited them. And then this man defies the king to his face. He shows up and he says, I'm good enough for the wedding feast just as I am. And he is thrown out of the wedding feast. And we read here to where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. And as we've talked about in a couple of different parables this summer, that's speaking of cast out, away from the presence of the Lord, cast out to an eternity separated from God. This man was not dressed for the occasion. Jesus here is could be addressing a number of things, but he is definitely addressing the religiously proud. Jared Wilson, in his commentary on the parables, says that the Pharisee shows up at the temple with all the religious currency needed to worship. And Jesus says the kingdom of God is taken from people like that and given to others who produce fruit. If we think we come into God's kingdom because of our own religious currency, because of the own, our own good things that we have built up, we will not be welcomed into the wedding feast. We don't know anything of the kingdom of God if we expect to be there. If we think we are invited into the kingdom because of our greatness and what we have to offer the king and what we have to offer the feast and what we have to offer the kingdom, we will not be welcomed in to the kingdom. That's what Jesus is saying here. We must prepare our hearts for the coming of the Lord and not by just going to church. Not by just marking a box that says Christian. Not by even understanding intellectually all the pieces that it takes to get saved. But truly submitting ourselves to God and saying, I have no feet to stand on. Morally, religiously, intellectually, theologically, I have no feet to stand on for myself. Those that are invited into the wedding feast are those that are surprised that they got invited in the first place. That is the posture of worship. Isaiah 64 paints a picture like this. We all have become one like one who is unclean. All our righteous deeds are like polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf with our iniquities like the wind. It takes us away. Next, what do we learn? We learn, sorry, I'm the one behind here. We, we learn that we should invite more guests. If we are welcomed into the wedding feast, we need to turn around and then invite more guests into the wedding feast. We need to match the heart of the king in this parable. We need to match the heart of the father by inviting others into the feast. There's a lot of ways we could go about that, and there's a lot of motivations that we could try to tap into to have us invite others into the wedding feast of the Lord. But really, none of them work over time. Really, the only motivation for inviting others into the wedding feast is remembering the surprise that we're invited in the first place. If we think we got there out of our religious goodness, we will not invite others in. If we think we got there because we theologically and intellectually figured it out, we will not invite others in. If we don't remember what a joy it is to be invited into the king's feast, we will not invite others in. If we think others need to look like us first and clean up their act first to look like us, we will not invite others in. When we remember why and how we've been invited into the kingdom of God, we will invite any and all into our lives and into the kingdom of God. Friends of International Students is a way that we are doing that by welcoming international students into our homes, into our lives, into our church, into our community, into our just city of Iowa City, our Iowa City community. But what are we doing to invite others into our lives and into the kingdom? What are we doing to replicate little pictures of the kingdom around our kitchen table? In our lives, in this church, we have meals starting August 25th, and then we'll have them every second and fourth Sunday of the month throughout the semester, both spring and in the fall. We uh, do those meals for a number of different reasons. It feeds people that are hungry. Um, It gives us an opportunity to be a community together. It gives us an opportunity to get to know one another. It gives us more time together. But if we just eat a meal to fill our bellies and talk to the same people we always talk to, we're really missing out. We really want to encourage you to use the meals this year very strategically. There's two ways that that's going to happen. One is almost every meal is going to have some other purpose that we're trying to accomplish. Welcoming new people in, welcoming international students in. Um, We're going to use it for a number of different Um, opportunities. Last fall, we had something every week after the service, and it burnt everyone out, staff and volunteers alike. So meals are one of the best things we do. They're a hit. People stick around for them. It's a great opportunity. So we're going to use them for strategic purposes this year. We're even going to have a couple meals where we babysit your kids so you can actually sit and have a conversation with other people. Can I get an amen? So... That's one way. The other way that we can use meals differently is an individual task. It's us going a step further than telling people, I'll see you next week. And it's inviting them into our homes, inviting them into our lives. So I want to challenge you with this idea. This is actually Wade's idea, as Steve and I were meeting with him over the last couple weeks. If you meet an international student, a grad student, a college student, someone you don't know, Don't just invite them back to church next week. Say, what day am I having coffee with you this week? What day can we catch lunch in your dorm this week? Let's go the extra step to welcome people into our lives and give them a picture of what the kingdom of God is like. There's a lot we could say about what the kingdom of God is like, but international students coming to this campus in this town and never stepping inside the home of an American is not what the kingdom of God looks like. So as the kingdom of God, God's kingdom people, we need to do something about that. Lastly, we should worship. This king in the parable could have just made everyone come. But instead, he invites them. The kind of king that would demand his subjects come to his party and worship him is the kind of king that is powerful, but is not gracious or good. He didn't want robots. He didn't just want loyal subjects. He wanted a relationship with his people. And our creator God, the God of heaven and earth, invites us into a relationship With him. And then we willingly give him our lives as an act of worship because of what he has generously done for us. Turn with me to Romans chapter 11. We're going to close there. We spent like an entire quarter a few years back going through Romans 9, 10, and 11. And you could study it for the rest of your life and not understand every part of it. But I'm going to summarize it for you right now, Romans 9, 10, and 11, uh, to help us understand what we're getting at at the end of chapter 11 here. Basically, Romans 9, 10, and 11 is Paul's commentary on the parable of the wedding feast. It's Paul saying who is in the kingdom and who is not in the kingdom. And it's Paul marveling at the fact that the call would go out to the Jews, the Jews would be the first to reject Jesus, and then the Gentiles would come in, and then Paul is making an appeal to the church in Rome that because the Gentiles are coming to faith, the Jews should come into the faith. It's, it's crazy. There's so much depth to what Paul is getting at here. But Paul is going into all these ins and outs, and people love to debate about what all these passages do or do not mean. But if we just end there, and if we just end this sermon in this night right now, then we've missed Paul's point in Romans 9, 10, and 11. Because in Romans eleven thirty-two, 32, Paul gets to a point where he doesn't know what else to say, and I'm convinced he doesn't understand what he just said. He kind of baffles himself. And he's left with only one thing to do Romans chapter 11, verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Amen. We cannot understand all the depths of the goodness of our God. We cannot understand all the depths of this parable. We cannot understand all the ins and outs of the way the kingdom of God and our salvation looks. But we can worship him for who he is. The parts we can understand and the parts we can't. We worship a God that has poured out his grace and his mercy and his invitation into his kingdom on us. The band's going to come forward and we're going to close tonight worshiping God. Would you stand with me? Heavenly Father, we want to close tonight worshiping you, singing about you, what you have done. Father, thank you for your invitation into your kingdom. Thank you that you have not only invited us into the kingdom, God, but you have made a way for us to be in the kingdom by what Christ has done for us. And it's clothed in his righteousness alone that we are invited into the wedding feast. Father, I pray that we we would take you up on the offer to take off our filthy rags and put on the righteous purity and perfection of Christ. Thank you, Jesus, for taking our sin upon you. Thank you for pouring out your grace and mercy upon us on the cross. God, help us to marvel in what you have done. Then invite others into your kingdom, all while we are living a life of worship to you because of what you have done for us. Let's continue to worship him now.